lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre are both here with me. If you would like to join us, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's how you can email the program. D-E-A-C-E. Look for my name, Steve Dace, over on Facebook, on MeWe. That's kind of an alternative to Facebook on Gab, which is good to get its first shot to take center stage on the show here. More on that here in just a moment. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample for yourself uh, and then share with others, which helps us to get the word out, go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show or youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Don't forget to get your copy of my new book, A Nefarious Carol, which we are beginning to go through right now on Theology Thursday, the sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot. We're working on the script for that film adaptation for that book as we speak. But you order it today, get your copy before Theology Thursday so you can follow along with us as the devil tries to tempt a young woman into joining him to change the world. Get your copy of A Nefarious Carol at Amazon.com. And thanks to all of you that have already read the book or listened to the Audible version performance with my daughter and I. If you liked that, give us a five-star review. If you don't want to give your money to Amazon, can't blame you. They have enough of it anyway. Um, Go to Premier Collectibles and get an autographed copy of A Nefarious Carol. The link for how to do that is uh, pinned to both my Facebook and Twitter account, so you can bypass Amazon altogether. Of course, today is the day after the Super Bowl. Now, are you guys, you know, hey, this should be a national holiday? I mean, Todd doesn't want any holidays or anybody having fun. I mean, Todd just wants everybody to sit around and... uh, um, Turd tweet, uh, David French and Jake Tapper all day. So, Aaron, let me ask you, what do you think? Do you think it should be a uh, after the holiday? six hours of winter driving that I endured yesterday? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You did all that winter driving on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, we went down to we slipped down to Kansas City. We couldn't see our way back. Well, glad you came back here safely. All right, um, uh, Todd, I know your answer. No, correct. 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 Right, that's pretty much Todd's answer. On what question would you say yes? <laughs> going to be one of those days yes yeah all right so it's a mood uh yes indeed it's a state of being for todd uh right now did you enjoy the super bowl commercials yesterday todd they were all right they're all right that the uh toyota wow uh you wonder if it's they understood what they were doing with that commercial yeah uh, it was just fantastic yeah that was a fantastic commercial but dude we got a nick saban i from yeah. Todd, that, yeah. that's about yeah. as cheerful as you are these days, is it not? Well, the commercials, I don't know. When's, when's the last time you said that was just a great commercial thing? It's more of a novelty. A, a few years ago when they decided to go ahead and honor dads, I thought that, do you guys remember that one a few years ago? It was the year after they went all rainbow flag and there was a bit of a backlash. And so the next year they came back and and went like, dads are great and had the Paul Harvey, if you know, uh, got so God made a farmer ad. You remember that? I do. That was a pretty good year for commercials. This year was pretty underwhelming. Uh, you mentioned the Toyota ad. I thought that was clearly the best ad. I thought in terms of creativity and everything, the uh, the Rocket Mortgage, the second ad. Are you sure? Or are you certain? That's. I mean, that was a big budget ad with some cool Tracy, pop culture. Uh, Tracy, is it Morgan? Tracy Morgan. Yeah, that's more of what we have come to expect from. 
uh, Super Bowl Sunday ads, you know, except the last few years it's been all political messaging one way or the other instead. You know what I miss? Is I miss, like, the grand reveal big budget blockbuster movie trailer. Remember when we were kids and growing up? That's usually we saw the first trailer for a... I mean, to this day... When when the when the White House got blown up in the Independence Day trailer at the, in the Super Bowl commercial, do you remember that? I do. I mean, that was the cow. That was the last Super Bowl for the Cowboy teams with Aikman, Irvin, and Emmett against the Steelers. I think that year. I mean, if we had had Twitter and stuff back then, I mean, the the the, the world that went viral in a world where we didn't even know what that term meant. It just seems like we don't have those anymore, you know. But. Meh. Hey, bottom line is my twelve to one ticket cashed. I should just do one of these a year. Last year, I got the Nats 23-1 to 1 to win the World Series. This year, the Buccaneers 12-1 to win to win the Super Bowl. I should just try and do one of these a year, right? I think you will. You think I can do that? I'm already on, by the way, in case you want to know. I've already, I'm already on a futures ticket. Georgia 10-1 to 1 to win the national championship this fall. I've already purchased that ticket. I'm sitting on Michigan 40-1 to 1 to win the NCAA tournament. Iowa forty to one to win the NCAA not, tournament. Yeah. All that does that that looked pretty like a pretty good bet about a month ago. It's not looking too good right now, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've, I've got I'm sitting on those two tickets as well. Michigan, which is ranked number three in the country right now, forty to one. This is all to a, win the NCAA tournament. This, by the way, is a preview of one of the Gab questions. I think the first Gab question is it. It is, which is a good segue. So next hour for our Monday town hall, for the first time, Gab which we just joined uh, in the last month or so. And so we have a, a small but growing uh, following there. It's just, I think, about 3,000 people. But I thought, hey, let's let's get Gab involved in the show. And this is the social media platform. It's kind of a Facebook-Twitter hybrid. It's got a little bit of both. Uh, and it's the company that owns all of their own servers, so they've been, like, banned everywhere. So they don't do, like, any censoring, from what I can tell, at all. Um even sometimes when I'm like, Eesh. Uh, but um, uh, I, I, at least though, I'm the one that gets to make that decision for myself, right? So Gab is going to do the Ask Me Anything for the very first time uh, coming up in the next hour of the show. So we're looking forward to that. At the bottom of this hour, so did you have time to get those clips of everything you had going on with travel and everything else? Just two, correct? Yes, just those two? Correct, yep. Okay. So this is something a few years ago... I'd have just dismissed out of hand. Said I just, I don't have time with everything else I have to do to entertain this. I just don't. Okay. Yeah. And and then I, I then I was put through a Russian collusion hoax. And then I was put through a Brett Kavanaugh rape hoax. And then I was told after seventy years of vehement denials and um, you are uh, tarred and feathered from polite society that UFOs now are real. Right. Also, what's a woman, Steve? And we don't know what a woman is. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. I mean, we could just go on and on. How about all of the the COVID doomsday models? None of them turn out to be true. John Weaver is a blessing of liberty. Yes. Um, Epstein didn't kill himself, right? And then there's the ongoing uh, COVID data gaslighting, which is still going as we speak right now. There's certain masks work better than ever before, yes, Steve. Yes, with certain viruses that they don't work for others. Yes, it's amazeballs. But um, after all of that, 2017 Steve Dace is dead now. That, that guy's not dead. I, I would love for him to return because it was a simpler time. Right? <laughs> when we thought there was some form of filter, we could at least, we knew the, na- we knew the, the, the people who did the news hated us. We knew that. But we thought there at least had to be some form of, 
of truth in there to be found somewhere, right? Now we're like, what's the news, right? Yeah. So since that's what the last three years of my career have been like, you bet your sweet bippy I spent two hours uh, over the weekend watching Mike Lindell's video on voter fraud. All three of us did. There's a couple of clips we're going to play of that video at the bottom of the hour. And then I'm going to ask you two a simple question about the documentary. Okay. So that's coming up at the bottom of this hour. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by O.J. Simpson. Time Magazine's new piece entitled The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election is probably more appropriately titled If I Did It, but that one was already taken. The piece, written by Molly Ball, details the fusion of big business, special interest groups, and government officials into a campaign to beget, quote, practically a revolution in how people vote. The piece brags about how, essentially, mail-in voting was the key piece in how the 2020 presidential election shook out and credited a campaign of the aforementioned actors, most notably the AFL-CIO and Chamber of Congress, in order to change the way people vote. Quote, there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans, end quote. The story even goes on to say, quote, that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change the rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it, end quote. In completely unrelated news, lefty blue checkmark Chris Jackson tweets a photo of Joe Biden sitting in a pew from months ago and says, quote, our POTUS Joe Biden quietly attended church this morning. He did didn't mean tweet, he didn't golf, he didn't gaslight, what a change. In further unrelated news, why people believe the conspiracy theory that the government is being run by a band of pedophiles, police in Washington, D.C. have arrested Ruben Verastigi, a former senior digital strategist for the Senate Republican Conference, on charges of distribution of child pornography, resulting from a time span that allegedly included his time at the Senate Republican Conference. Verastigi also spoke at the 2013 March for Life event in D.C. and becomes the most recent recent allegedly right-of-center figure to be wrapped up in sexual misbehavior following John Weaver, former John McCain strategist and Lincoln Project co-founder, whose predatory behavior was exposed last week. Coronavirus news, according to Toby Young of Lockdown Skeptics, with info from Our World and Data, quote, if you look at the number of COVID deaths per million in the U.S. up to February 1st, the average in those seven states that didn't lock down is lower than the average in the 43 states that did. And then there's the curious case of the invisible influenza. According to the CDC, exactly one year ago, 54,982 flu tests were reported from the previous week with a 31% positivity rate for 16,394 positive specimens. Fast forward to last week, the CDC reported 18,531 flu tests. That's a 66% decrease with only a 0.1% positivity rate for 25 positive specimens. That's a 99% decrease. Checking in on panic porn stars and CNN who just can't even with Tampa, Florida before the Super Bowl where there's no mask mandate. We're trying to enjoy it safely. Uh, We are at the Poorhouse in Tampa, which is a very lively uh, bar and restaurant, which is why I am double masked. But if you take a look here at the scene uh, behind me, you can see that a lot of people are here. They're gathered. They're all 
police there, uh, but we're unsure about citations. I, sp I spoke to the Tampa police and I asked them, what are you doing about this? Because a lot of people were very concerned. Apparently the dance floors were full and that's right now not allowed during the pandemic. Last night during the big game, the halftime show performer The Weeknd actively looked for data saying masks worked. Good news, the state of Iowa is dropping all its remaining coronavirus restrictions, including its mask mandate and gathering limitations. According to the CDC, cases of coronavirus in the U.S. have now declined by more than 50 percent from the January 11th peak. Moving on, Hunter Biden, son of Joe Biden, has a new book deal with Simon & Schuster. This news comes after the publisher canceled its book deal with Senator Josh Hawley because orange man bad or something. Washington Post headline, the Buccaneers embody Tampa's love of pirates. Is that a problem? SB Nation headline, the Chief's Arrowhead Chop chant isn't a tribute to Native Americans, it's racist. And finally, the Church of Woke with comedian Brian Long. You know, the Church of Woke is just like any other church, except our God is intersectionality and our devil is intolerance. Thou shall not listen to the fiery bigotry contained within podcasting. Now, just like some of the other churches, we believe that blasphemous ideas that cause dissent to our cause should be removed. We're actually doing a book burning later. I mean, we have Harry Potter, uh, Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, which is basically our Salvador Rusty's The Satanic Verses. Just sacrilege. Hello, hello. We've sort of designed it to be a bit of an echo chamber. This is one of our many Bibles. Cast down the vile comedy of Andrew Dice Clay. And though other religions in the past have gained control of the printing press to stop the spread of misinformation, we've seized control of the social media platform. You know, this is the booth where you confess anything like sexist thoughts, phobias. It's not anonymous, and we've actually removed about 20,000 members after learning of their impurities. But while some other religions allow you to repent and ask for forgiveness, we prefer you to repent in the form of a formal apology, and then we cast you out anyway. And that's what happened while we were away. Yeah, that last line's pretty true. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by Home Title Lock. Do not get a crash course on home title theft this year. It can ruin you financially. Here's how this crime happens. The legal titles to our homes are kept online where they can be hacked. Cyber thieves know this. They go there, forge your signature on a quick claim deed stating you sold your home to them. And then they take out loans against your home until that equity is gone. You won't know about it till maybe collection calls pour in, foreclosure, eviction notices, because this can happen to rental properties as well. Your homeowner's insurance. Not, nor your um, your mortgage lender can protect you from this. But thankfully, Home Title Lock does. And in the unlikely event that you still become a victim of home title th uh, fraud while a, a member there, they will spend up to a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees to help restore your home's title. So go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and then use the promo code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's the promo code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Coming up in the overtime today, we have a poll question out on our Twitter account at Steve Day Show asking you, who's the greatest team sport athlete in history? Tom Brady? Is it Babe Ruth? Uh, is it... Uh, Michael Jordan, is it Wayne Gretzky? We're going to discuss those polling results and our own thoughts on that question coming up in the overtime today, post-Super Bowl. And that is for Blaze TV subscribers, which you can access by going to blazetv.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E. If you're already a subscriber, we will record it for you right after the show today and then upload it later this afternoon. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, that's where you can go to become one with a big discounted subscription today at blazetv.com slash dace all right let's let's get to the montage um the hunter biden book deal did you guys see that his his 
he was trending number one in Chinese biographies no. on Amazon.com a few days ago. That is true. What? Oh, I thought that it's was true. A bunch no, of no. Which would make it even funnier, yeah. but no, no, it, it was true. It was he was trending number one on Chinese bi- biographies on Amazon. Was Eric Swalwell number two? Ooh. Ooh. Todd comes out. Swinging. Good weekend for See, you, huh? Really relaxing. I, I like to have fun. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the uh, the invisible case of influenza. We are going to discuss that more in depth tomorrow on fake news or not. Because we're going to get into some of the objections that are being raised at me pointing out these numbers, which I knew these objections were coming. That's I was not blindsided by them. I asked this question in order. It's called begging the question. I asked this question in order to bring these potential objections to the forefront. And we're going to tackle those tomorrow on fake news or not. Make sure you do not miss this because they're all full of bunk, as is most of what you have been told in the last, what, now going on 11 months when it comes to COVID-19. Um the lockdowns versus no lockdown states graphic that Aaron showed. It, what have we said on our show for months now? Lockdowns don't work, but they do kill. They don't work, but they do kill. But we have to, I think, park it at the story that Aaron pointed out over the weekend. Was it the Atlantic that wrote this piece? Time. Time magazine. Yeah, time. Th- thank you. They, they all just, they're, they look all, they all look the same to me. Um, the, the brazenness of this. And it reminds me of when the whole Russian uh, collusion story broke and did they spy on Trump or not? And I predicted they would eventually devolve from, no, we didn't do this to, yeah, we did it, but it was, we had to because Trump was just that bad, Right. That's essentially the tactic taken in this piece. It is linked up on all my social media accounts. You all need to read this for yourselves. It was the last time the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO agreed on anything. But they did agree on Orange Man Bad. And what this piece lays out, and as Aaron pointed out in his montage, true OJ if I did it, or better yet, yeah we did it style, What it lays out is actually what I have described as what I mean by voter fraud and stealing an election on this show. And I used a line, it's a famous saying, treason never prospers, what's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. Voting fraud never happens, what's the reason? Because whenever voting fraud happens, none will dare call it voter fraud, right? Right. That's, what's ha- that's what this is. This is, a, this is a harmonic convergence of elite sectors all conspiring together for a desired outcome. And, it's, and, and, and they control both ends, the supply end and the demand end. You have nowhere to go for your grievances to be heard. Your cases will get thrown out or we'll put them off and the Supreme Court will listen to them in February after the election is over and a new president is sworn in. No media will cover it. 
If you try to use alternative or social media to address it, you're banned. There's, there's nowhere for you to go for recourse. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands gather on January the 6th to have their voices heard. A fraction of those people act out. And it appears, based on the arrests that have not occurred and the evidence that has not been brought forth, the level of their acting out greatly exaggerated. But we also can't deny that a fraction of those people did act out. But now, the whole bunch now. You're all insurrectionists. That's how you pull this off. Meanwhile, with it, did you read the whole thing? Yes. Because I almost paused several times, but I forced myself to. They're in the bottom quarter. It actually admits they were fully prepared to incite their own yes. riot. They yes. say it yep. yes. out loud. Yes, it does say that. It does. And <laughs> it's a common communist trick. It's really, uh, it's really an, an edict from hell. And communism is a demonic, satanic worldview. But you accuse your enemies of doing what you're doing. And it just connects every dot and lays it all out. Now, it does it in a very triumph of the will type of narrative. And I've just given up the ghost of trying to withhold making Nazi references. I've just decided I'm just going with it now. Okay. It, it does it like that. Yeah, it does. That it, book up well, there, that, that's, that's how it does it. Nefarious is, is, is somewhat patterned after that. I just didn't think it was great to tell you guys as a, as a preemptive marketing tactic. Well, one of the things I kind of did was pattern this after a Nazi propaganda film where, hey, the Reichstag fire was for your own good. You know what I'm saying? This is all, that's what triumph of the will is. It's an infamous propaganda film from the early, uh, from the early rise of the Nazi party in Germany, the early days of the Third Reich. To make it seem as if everything that they were doing was, for, was your own good. It's full onboard Ebony Maw. You may think this is suffering, but it is your salvation. That's what this article does. It goes full triumph of the will. Meaning, here's all the evidence. We did everything you thought we did. But, but, here's our spin on it. We're the heroes of this story. When you read a nefarious plot, he believes he's the hero of the story. When he goes back to the garden with his master, the devil, tempting Adam and Eve, he doesn't view his master, Satan, as the tempter. He views him as a whistleblower. We're the heroes here. We're the ones blowing the lid off how bad humanity is. That's what this does. We're the heroes of this story. We did this for your own good. The fact that it is still up there. They're proud of this. And when you see the ongoing, I was just appalled at the level of toxicity from what I had seen on my social media accounts from mainstream media over the weekend. 
I mean, it's just not even in a, t- it's, it's, there's, there's, it's, it's just, it's vile is what it is. Magical and not at all broken. They're, they're bleep. It's, it, it's, they're crap tweeting the 75 million Americans who voted for Trump and calling it news. That's, that's essentially what they're doing. And there's only two reasons you do something like that. For ratings, it's all theater. And you realize people that voted for Trump are not tuning into you anyway. So you're just trying to play to a certain partisan element for ratings. That could be part of it. I'm hoping, frankly, it's all of it. Because as much as that sucks, and is right out of a Don Henley lyric from Dirty Laundry, that isn't a zero-sum game. The other option is you're unpersoned. I'm not sharing a country with you. You're un- you're you you are beyond accommodation. You're unshareable. To a very dark place that one goes. But unfortunately, based on what you read in this time article, that appears to be the more likely option here. What were your gentlemen, you guys' thoughts reading that? Oh, indeed, nothing Nothing shocking uh, in the least about it. The biggest surprise, I guess, to me is how early the wheels were put in motion. This was all put in motion before COVID. Yes. And the article also points out that really without COVID, here's the thing I will say. I don't think this is much different. Now, you didn't get the AFL-CIO and Chamber of Commerce in bed together, but I don't think this is much different than what you have seen them do against John McCain, Mitt Romney, George Bush. You know what I'm saying? I, I just don't, I think we kind of see this all of the time. They're all on one narrative. But the, the ability to take this, I think it went to another level with Trump. That's where you get to the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO together. But mail-in voting... The play's the thing in which I'll catch the conscience of the king, Hamlet says, right? Mail-in voting is the thing in which I'll take down the king. Mail-in voting is what permitted all of this. To take it is what permitted it to go next level. This is what permitted it to go from a narrative to a plot. Is is what could be done with mail-in voting? What could be excused with it? What could be, well, you know, look at the high turnout. That's why we have all these. What that permitted, that was Pandora's, that, that handed them the keys to Pandora's box. And otherwise, that's what takes this from just a supersized version of what they do against, no matter who the Republican nominee is, but allowed them to take this to banana republic, uh, uh, plutocracy, oligarchical levels is in this election. Also, one thing—I don't recall issues other than when COVID came in. It wasn't issue-based at all. It's an entirely it, their issues are crazy. But this is my point last week when we were talking with Chris. That what do they actually believe? A lot of them believe very, very crazy things. But fundamentally, they will ultimately come to believe a lot of things because of the need to constantly manipulate. Who does that sound like in the garden? Did God really say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, Bella and I watched the first two Hunger Games movies uh, this weekend. And if you want to, if you want to know who the elite are in our society. The elite, uh, the elite are those who so thoroughly believe that they 
that they are that they are so good in their misbehavior that it's always for your own good. Dr. Anthony Fauci, yes, I lied about masks, but it was for your own good. You couldn't handle the truth. You watch the Hunger Games movies, the people of the Capitol, those people, and I, they all look like Gen Zers, to be honest. But anyway, the, the people in the Capitol, they all believe that the Hunger Games, this is, this is, I mean, it's sad, but this is for your own good. I mean, you'll get crushed again if you try to, if you try to rise up against us. Uh, District 13, Florida, anybody? South Dakota, anybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't exist. Um, the, the people in society who, when they are caught or when they just feel like saying, yeah, we were lying to you, they always end it with some form of, but it was for your own good. We see that everywhere. It's the same damn pattern every time. This is just another example of that. So Mike Lindell's video on voter fraud, we will share some thoughts and a couple of clips from that video when we return. So Mike Lindell, founder, CEO of the very successful MyPillow company, ardent Trump supporter, put out a video at his own expense. Basically, it's a two-hour documentary, which he says makes the definitive case that the 2020 election was stolen. Now, we would urge you to go to his website because that seems to be the one place where it is you can watch it without it being taken down at MikeJLindell.com. Uh, but um, you need to watch it for yourself. This thing is almost two hours. We don't have time to do an entire show on it. Each of us, though, has watched it in its entirety. We're going to play two five-minute clips from this video because having watched it, I think these two fi- these two five-minute clips essentially encapsulate the majority of his claim. The first one lays out general evidence for theft, and then the second one describes an actual act that helped to pull the theft off. And then we'll have some commentary after you watch these two clips. Here's Arizona. Okay, the margin of victory was 10,000 votes that, uh, that Biden, they say Biden won. Now, if we look at this, let's go down the chart here. Mail-in ballots require an adjudication, almost 300,000. What these mean are these are votes that they put through, and you're going to learn that you're going to learn all about that during this show too, what adjudication, how that works. But let's just go to the next one: illegal aliens voting. Thirty-six thousand four hundred illegal aliens voted. You see that he only lost by ten thousand. Boy, of course they can't vote. Okay, Donald Trump wins Arizona, right? We'll just keep going. Voters registered to a vacant lot. Two thousand completed mail-in ballots received the day before the ballots were even mailed. They got. 22,000 ballots back in Arizona before they had even mailed the ballots out. What? That's kind of bizarre, right? Okay, keep going. Down here, Maricopa County electronic adjudicated ballots, 103,000. Votes loaded before opening of polls. So the votes were even loaded. They were already in there before the polls even opened, 50,000. Okay, let's just, you see all that. Let's go to the next state here. I'm going to skip Georgia and come back to it. Let's go to Michigan. Michigan, dead voters, 17,367. And this is so, uh, Michigan is kind of its own, we're going to talk about Michigan. It's very different than the other states, what went on there. So it's all grouped together, 615,000 votes that are just in, in question. Well, And we're going to skip that part, okay? Let's go to the next one here, Nevada. Okay, here's Nevada. Illegal aliens have voted in this election, 4,000. 
mail-in or absentee ballots for voters that were known to have voted in other states, 15,000. Clark County used signature verification, one half the image quality that was suggested by the manufacturer, and to check the mail-in ballot signatures, 130,000. We'll just skip through that. Um, raffle tickets that they were incentivized, 500. Here we go, here's a big one. Dead people who voted. 1,506 non-Nevadans who voted in Nevada. They don't even live in Nevada. 19,218 voters who double voted. 42,284. Okay, as you can see, they add up to over 200,000. Donald Trump lost by 34,000 votes. Okay, let's go to the next one, Pennsylvania. Mail-in votes that counted without a Republican observer. We all heard that stuff. It's well over 600,000. Uh, Mail-in ballots, 68. Here's another one, too. We could almost come. We're gonna, you're going to hear a lot about this during this thing. But let's go down. Poll workers that voted with various errors in the bins. Um, this is the one where you heard the fake ballots that were driven from New York to Pennsylvania. You'll hear a little about that in the show, too. But this is it. We're going to go by Pennsylvania. You can all see it adds up to 866,000. Donald Trump lost by 68,000. And there, there'll be a point to all this I'm getting to. Okay, here's Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Surge of identity combined voters in 2020. That's it. It's a, that would take a while to explain, but there was 130,000. Um, U.S. Postal Service backdated ballots, 100,000. Okay, that's incredible if you actually look into it. Um, the mail-in ballots entering the tabulation price under the guise of absentee ballots in clear violation of state law, 170,000. Okay, Wisconsin, the margin of victory for Biden was 20,000 votes. Now we're gonna go to back to Georgia, okay? Everyone knows the president called the Secretary of State in Georgia, and on that call, he, he said he was listing these to the Secretary of State. He said, okay, you have felons with incomplete sentences that voted and cast their vote, 2,560. Underage children that registered to vote and illegally voted, 66,247. Unregistered voted who, voters who voted, 2,423. Registered voters who voted in another state after their Georgia registration date, 4,926. Voters who voted in Georgia and also voted in another state, 395. Voters who voted in Georgia but changed their address before the election to do it, 15,700. People who failed to pre-register to vote in their county in time after moving from one county to another, 40,279. Voters who illegally claimed a post office box as their resident, 1,043. Voters who registered too late to vote in the election, 98. People who died prior to the election, they, didn't, they were already dead, 10,315. Okay, ballots with no chain of custody. We'll probably talk a little bit about that in this show too. 600,000. And here's what the president said to the Secretary of State in Georgia. Can you just give us, uh, why don't you just give us your, it's only, ten, he only lost by 11,730 votes. He said, how about you just give us your underage that voted and your dead people and we win. It didn't make sense. You say, how about this? This, this line here, this people who failed to register, 40,000. Can you just give us them? He said, just get, he, he named the columns. And you know what the Secretary of State of Georgia said? Those numbers are wrong. And, and the president said, well, where, what, who gave us the numbers? He asked his guy. And that guy said, 
We got them from the Secretary of State's office. What you're going to see now is 100% proof that we had upon our country the biggest cyber attack in history. And I'm going to bring on Mary Fanning to explain how it all happened and the, show you the 100% proof. Mary, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Uh, today, we've been watching cybersecurity experts, and they've explained some of the things that happened in the election, some of the election fraud. But what we're seeing here is, if you look at this chart, is that there were cybersecurity experts who began collecting information on November 1st. And be, so this was before, during, and after the election that they were collecting documentation. In fact, they collected terabytes of information that document the election fraud, the foreign intrusion into our election. This was collected as a, a, in 2,995 counties in the United States. This was collected in real time. All right, so if you go to the chart, what you will see is a documentation of foreign interference in the election. The first column, if you look at the chart, that shows that on 11-5, 2020, at 7.43 and 38 seconds, we had a foreign intrusion, and it shows the IP address, the Internet Protocol address. That is the number of that protocol address of the hacker that entered into our election. The second column is the owner or source of that IP address. That shows that ChinaNet in Beijing province entered the election. It shows an ID that is the unique address of a computer that shows the exact computer using that IP source that entered into our election. The next is the target. That's the IP target. That's the Internet protocol address of the target. All right. Then the next is the target state. In this case, it shows that it's Michigan. Where in Michigan? That's the next count. It shows that it's in Emmett County, Michigan. Then the ID target. That is a unique address of another computer in the United States that the hacker has gone into. And then it shows the method of intrusion. Now, on some cases, you're going to see that they use credentials. That means that they have fake credentials because there were administrators that had been placed on the Secretary of State's computers, uh, false administrators. In other cases, it shows that they broke through the firewall. In some cases, they did both. Now, in the next column, it shows whether it was successful. You'll see a Y. That shows that, yes, it was successful. Now, oftentimes they're not successful and they have to go back and try for another intrusion. And then it shows whether that's, in fact, successful as well. Then in the final column, what you're seeing are votes changed. Now, in this particular case, when they went into Emmett County, Michigan, the votes that were changed was they stole 3,477 votes from Donald Trump. That's what you're looking at. Now, as you go through this document and you look at all the multiple uh, intrusions into our election, what, what you'll notice that over 60% of these intrusions come from China. So that is over 66% is what the number is. Over 66% of the intrusions into our election came from China. Why is this important? Well, uh, some things were set in place, including 
some of the changes that took place in this country, particularly when we had the Wuhan virus or the COVID-19 virus hit this country. And we have a video. Well, first, Mike, do you have any questions about this chart and what it is showing? Yeah. Um, so what so what you have here is what each one of these is its own timestamp that is 100% proof because you have that not only where it came from you have it's basically you have their identification you have that um, you know, who they were attacking their identification um, this is what everybody would want if you ever looked in and did an audit or wanted to look into a computer and look what went on in cyberspace this is what you'd be looking for correct this is forensic evidence of foreign footprints as I entered our election in a cyber warfare attack on our election. And then it shows exactly what they, you know, where did they come from, which computer exactly, exactly the timestamp, exactly which computer they entered into, uh, in, in, in what state, which county, uh, the, the ID, the unique ID of the computer that they entered into. And then it shows how they entered using false credentials or breaking through the firewall or both wow. were they successful the first time the second time and then it shows the votes that they stole from donald trump right. this is proof positive this is documentation of a cyber attack but it also is documentation of the footprints of those who entered our election right all right now this that latter part there's no possible way we have the means by which to verify all of that um so I would trust somebody as wealthy as Mike Lindell has attorneys at the ready for when the time comes that uh, he receives uh, paperwork asking him to verify those kinds of claims. Okay, so here is the question we have that we're going to discuss for the next five minutes before we close this out for the hour. Did Lindell make a case worthy of further examination consideration scrutiny that's it we have we have no way of verifying and, and what he puts there in the beginning we've actually pointed out a lot of that data on our show right double votes death votes i've done all kinds of stuff on that stuff in the past and in, in, in these various states the first segment felt like our show yes yeah um the second segment goes goes to a completely different place where he starts he basically says that that the system was hacked by foreign hackers okay um do you think that he put up evidence worthy of consideration scrutiny skepticism if you were one of mike lindell's kids and you'd like to inherit the my pillow empire one day from dad all right would you be feeling skittish nervous about what dad put you put your future inheritance on the line in order to put his name behind or would you think i don't know you know i think at the very least dad's not dumb and knows what he's getting himself into todd what do you think well it's actually both I'd be skittish and think he and he knows what he's getting into. I mean, listen, Aaron's montage the first couple days after the election, again, had the feel of what Michael Lindell put out there. Just multiple states, things going on everywhere, things that just don't add up. None of which says specifically uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump won. But it's just it's about election integrity regardless who is running 
So I, I had the same feeling in that segment and much of the show of that. We're, we keep bringing up the same fundamentals that others have pointed out, like, no, we should not be doing much of anything. I know our colleague uh, Chad Prather has said this. Election reform, election reform, everybody should be voting uh, in person. As for that, I don't know who Mary Fanning is. I don't know what her credentials are. It almost seems like she can't possibly be a real person because why on earth wouldn't everybody who considers themselves an actual American after China did what it did with to us and the world with the coronavirus why wouldn't you want to know well there's no, there's no good answers to that and the most likely answer sadly is again second time I have to point to this book they, people are so into whatever they're into their own idols they just don't care anymore Aaron what'd you think I, I don't think you need to go to the places that Mike Lindell went to to make a compelling case. Um, just look at the statistical anomaly. This is what I keep coming back to. Take all of the actors out of this, all of the specific names out of this, all of the sworn affidavits out of this. Just look at the statistical anomalies and the incongruency from state to state of this election, and it raises a lot of red flags. And along the lines of what red flags, that's putting it mildly, hmm. um, to going back to what, what Todd said, just push for some uh, reforms only in the rarest of circumstances. If you're bedridden, something like that, should you be casting a mail in absentee ballot? What have you? Everybody else, it's in person. Everybody else, it's on one single day. And then I would even go to the further point of this. Uh, no electronic voting. If it is electronic, then you for then you're forced to actually look at your ballot before you slip it in there like most places do anyway. Um, so those things like that. I think our our excellent um, our our excellent uh, solutions to come out of this because if 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 you can't even give the seventy plus million people who voted for Trump if you can't even give them that then then we're we're beyond uh, we're beyond reconcil reconciliation specifically if you're in a place like Wisconsin where their where their legislature just uh, voted I believe or maybe it was the court but if you're in a place like Wisconsin where there's a lot of Republicans in your state legislature if you're in a place like Pennsylvania where there's a lot of Republicans in your state legislature if they're not pushing for these types of basic reforms then then they're not worth they're not worth anything well you can watch the whole thing for yourself on Mike's website and decide for yourself what you think whether you think that Bar, pardon the expression he released the Kraken or not but it's two hours good to warn you uh, grab a Snickers it's basically a documentary and you can make up your own mind we'll come back Ask Me Anything is next with Hour 2 stay tuned back with Hour 2 live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin is here with me as well as Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's what happens. Sorry about that. When you drink a bunch of water before you come back from break. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. -E. Like us on Facebook and over on MeWe at Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can uh, follow, like us on Gab as well. You're going to hear more about them here in just a moment. Look for Steve Dace there. And then finally, if you're looking for clips of the show that you can sample yourself and then share with others, go to YouTube.com slash 
slash Steve Dace or rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E. One more time. Also, one more time. If you enjoy the podcast, we appreciate you. Please show your appreciation for us by leaving us a five-star review if you've yet to do that. Hitting the subscribe button as well if you've yet to do that too on whichever podcast platform you prefer. The more of those we get, the more likely it is that uh, we get to stay employed because uh, they help the show to grow. They impress the poobahs here at The Blaze and they make us feel, feel really good about ourselves too. And thank you to all of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews already. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Omega XL. You know, whether it is back, knees, neck, or shoulder pain. Now, we're not talking about injuries. Hey, you know, I, I separated my shoulder. Uh, go see a doctor, okay? Uh, but uh, if you're dealing with uh, pain in those joints, stiffness, soreness, chances are uh, the underlying cause is likely inflammation. You've got to defeat that inflammation, though, before it causes permanent damage. And that's where Omega XL comes in. Backed by 35 years of clinical research, Omega XL attacks the inflammation that's causing your pain. It's why I use it daily. It's part of my daily recovery post-workout regimen. Uh, It's why Todd and Aaron have rarely heard me complain the last few years about soreness and those sorts of things like I used to all the time uh, when I would come in uh, to the office in the morning. If you want to get started as well with those aches and pains, you need to try Omega XL. Let's get you started. Order Omega or go to OmegaXL.com slash Steve right now. OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Get one bottle, buy one. They'll give you a second one for free. Buy one, get one for free at Omega XL, just like it sounds. OmegaXL.com slash Steve, or you can give them a call at 800-844-4888-800-844-4888. I mentioned Gab for the first time ever. They're going to take center stage here on the Monday Town Hall. They get to ask the questions for this week's Ask Me Anything. Todd, you select those questions, which I do not see ahead of time, until Aaron, you start asking them. And yes, indeed, it was a, uh, a good week to start this. We'll start with at Fox U who says, last week you mentioned betting on the Super Bowl. What's your religious perspective on gambling? I was just a little surprised to hear about it. Um, I think, well, first of all, why do you think I need a religious um, explanation on gambling? What's your religious explanation? What's his name? At Fox U. Okay. Guy Fox. Gotcha. Um, What's your religious explanation on stock market investing what's your religious explanation on soybean futures what's your religious explanation on bitcoin gold all of those things starting your own business or buying a house getting a mortgage Right. All of those things would require some form of speculation correct is the outcome certain No. So any form of speculative market is gambling. It's just um, some gambling is more equal than others uh, in polite society. Now, where I do think we have a, a theological case is when we get into situations where the state is openly promoting schemes of idolatry that entangle people, meaning 
um, I've been involved in efforts in the past opposing uh, expansion of casinos in my own state. Why? Because if you go to Las Vegas, for example, do you guys just take a guess? What percentage of money do you think every year in Las Vegas is sports betting? What percentage of their revenue? What would you say it is? Less than small, 5%. I would say small. Well, you guys surprised me. You're right. It is less than 5%. But by far, what's the most high profile thing we always hear about Vegas? Sports betting. Sports betting. It is less than 5% of their revenue. Why? Because the majority of the revenue in Las Vegas comes from things that really don't require any sense of analysis or skill whatsoever, but are nothing but just pure unadulterated luck. How many times will it land on red in a row? How many times will it land on black? How many times do I push the lever before the machine comes up three of a kind, right? These are things of, of, of pure and uh, unadulterated luck, chance. No skill is involved. No analysis is involved. Even poker is more than sports betting, but even though it's become wildly popular, uh, even from a television perspective in recent years, it is um, infinitesimal in the grand scheme of things. Do you guys know what the number one revenue generator is, according to the Nevada Gaming Commission? Do you know what it is? It's probably slots. Penny slots is number one. People that just sit there all day long putting pennies in a slot machine, pulling the lever, hoping something comes up, right? That's why you walk into a casino, they look like they look and they sound like they sound. Yes. It's those yeah. things. Yes. So um, I've been involved in efforts in the past uh, against expanding casinos in my state for that reason. Because to me, those are two totally different things. One is, like, I don't, I'm not much into playing the lottery. I've, I won't say I've never played it, but it's been a long, long, long time since I've played it. Because that is a game of random chance. That That is a game where no skill is involved whatsoever. And the state is supporting and promoting a scheme by which the hope is that if I keep giving it, giving to, giving into it, that eventually I will end up with something I didn't earn. That is, in my opinion, a promotion of idolatry. So, well, now, now some of you are going to come back at me, and you're going to say, "Well, you have come up with this, this philosophy to justify what you want to do," and that is a fair criticism. I would actually say, though, that it's because of this philosophy that I feel justified in what I do. It's the other way around. Meaning that if if I could not defend my actions, I wouldn't do them. Right? That's that's my point. Now, you may not like my defense. We've had, over the years, lots of people have attempted to push back on me on this. But you're welcome to. Steve at SteveDace.com. If you think you have a, a, a facet of this that I've not considered then by all means, you're always welcome to email me. I love these conversations. But understand that the same logic that you would apply, we're not talking even about going to a CD bookie who operates an illegal operation. And so why would I, as a believer with a public platform, involve myself in that? that those are good questions. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I was invited to be the local celebrity contestant for the World Series of Poker in Iowa. And I wanted to play really bad because I love watching it on TV and I love playing it with my buddies. But I also knew that it would just not be a good promoter of 
what I was trying to promote on the show to take part in it. So I politely declined. Um, that now that gets into a slippery slope too, right now, cause now I'm going to get emails. Why do you have CR rated movies? I don't know. Did you skip the passion? Did you watch Schindler's list? You know, um, but that's what we sign up for as believers is we are constantly trying to work this thing out with fear and trembling. So if you have an argument I haven't heard, you're more than welcome to try it. Just keep in mind that if you have a portfolio, you know, we're not even doing CD sports betting with an illegal bookie anymore. I mean, these things are heavily regulated. Is, is there a bigger corporation in America than the National Football League? I don't I don't know. But um, if you have any kind of a portfolio of investments, then what you're doing is not any different. You're going to have to explain that. That's another form of learned speculation. You guys want to comment on that at all? If it's, if it's your conviction and you um, can make a case uh, without taking anything out of context, if it's your uh, conviction that this is just not something that is good for you or something that you're going to support, then by all means... Do not do that. That's what I would say as well. I think Steve has multiple occasions, including right now, has made pretty good cases that, you know, it's it's not necessarily an immoral thing. Like anything, though, I mean, like the Wolf of Wall Street, you become the Wolf of the Vegas Strip and just completely turn this into an idol. You can do that with absolutely anything. And because of the consequences, there's money involved. That can be a very, very bad thing. Um, but as long as it's not taken that much importance in your life it is on where it needs to be on the list of priorities um you know there's at least in my mind no no moral qualms with that i don't even know if i need to ask the catholic what he thinks y'all taught me how to play poker when i was in high school yeah this is about proportion it's really no different than booze in many respects where does it rank in the hierarchy of your values how does it dominate you is it really just a, a pastime or is it an obsession uh, making it a unique sin uh, is not helpful these next two we're going to take back to back they're a little bit lengthy so uh, stick with us okay uh, this one is from at dexy's kessel runners who says nice. friedrich douglas says quote I've found that to make a contented slave, it is necessary to make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision and, as far as possible, to annihilate the power of reason. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right, and he can be bought to that or brought to that only when he ceases to be a man. The left has successfully enslaved at least 60% of our fellow citizens based on these standards. And when the battles for education, faith, morality, the arts, and entertainment come, we griped, voted for fools, and surrendered our control. Given those facts, is saving America possible, or is it just now about surviving as second-class citizens in a post-America? If it's the latter, how bad do you think it's really going to get? That's... A great question. And that's why you need to read the next one. I purposely paired them up because 
of the point they make together from differing starting points. This next one is from Raskolnikov, who says, it is clear that no matter the evidence, the swamp is not going to wake up one day and say, you got me busted. Mm-hmm. We might actually have enough evidence to say, we got you, but they will likely respond, no, you don't. That has been debunked, and they will keep on trucking. Biden's laptop is just one example of how this works, meaning Hunter Biden's laptop. When the swamp owns everything, all the levers of power, what hope is there? Evidence no longer matters. We're living in Plato's allegory of the cave and describing the real world to Americans is too much for them to integrate. You could never convince them that there is more to the world than the shadows cast on the wall by the media. Given that, what is next? Do we have time for a multi-generational approach like the communists Uh, took? I just found it fascinating. Frederick Douglass, Civil War, uh, 1850s to 60s, Plato's parable of the cave for roughly 400 ish BC. I mean, we're at 2200 years between these two. They're talking about the exact same thing. There's and nothing there's new under no- the sun. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Uh, I, you know, I, I was sitting at a sports bar in Des Moines, Iowa, the summer of 2011 with Newt Gingrich, him and I having dinner together. And he's making the case to me. We're the most divided as a people we've been since the 1850s. Doesn't 2011 Seem like an episode of Gilligan's Island compared to where we are right now, right? Um, The Frederick Douglass anecdote that was shared by the first part of that question is a a more eloquent and brilliant point uh, or or way of of making the point. I make in a nefarious plot about what has happened, that, that critical thinking has been vanquished. I saw a tweet you shared over the weekend, Todd. That epidemiology is a science, like political science is a science. And that's right on the money. See, we could not presume to sit here with Anthony Fauci and debate with him the pathology of how HIV, SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2, influenza A, influenza B, any particular uh, you know, contagion, how it infects a specific population uh, or a specific uh, patient. Uh, we're, we're beyond our skis, right? Yes. Okay. Is that what we're debating, though? No. No. What we're debating is public policy. And that's where now, if you are a critical thinker, you can begin to ask questions. Like tomorrow on Fake News or Not, when we go more in-depth on my point of where the flu was in America one year ago today compared to where it is right now. And one of the, well, we're social distancing. Well, okay. We are. The Swedes aren't. Anywhere near the rest of the world. They have, and I'll show you this tomorrow, they have the ex- almost the exact same plummeting of influenza A and B. So try again. What's, what's your answer to that one then, Mr. Expert? See, we can do that with critical thinking skills. We can govern ourselves with critical thinking. We know what questions to ask. We can, we can spot which arguments are weak, which ones are fallacies, which ones they're not really sure of, which ones are BS, which ones we need to further scrutinize, which ones we need to go with. We can we can figure that out. It's why your founders gave us government by, of, and for the people and not by, of, and for the technocrat, the Plutarch, the oligarch. They came from an era where critical thinking was 
taught stem to stern. That's been eradicated from the majority of the American mindsets. I was saying to a friend of mine today when I sent him my, my, my flu question. And I, I told him that I don't get to beg questions with people anymore. Used to, you know, we used to say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. What I have to do in my show a lot of times now, and it's not your fault. You've been conditioned, most of you. We've all been conditioned this way. We've been conditioned to not be able to critically think so that we would just absorb and accept. We wouldn't ask questions. You know, in the previous generations, people who believed like we did wanted to get rid of books like Catcher in the Rye. got rid of them out of the schools because they thought it included or it, it incentivized critical thinking, being iconoclastic. And then once they got control of the system, what books did they get rid of? Books like Catcher in the Rye. Because it inc- they thought it incentivized critical thinking and being iconoclastic. And they looked from man to pig and pig to man and back to pig again. And they couldn't tell which was which. Meet the new boss. Yes, same as the old boss. Thank you. Yes. So what Frederick Douglass is saying there and far more poetic uh, phraseology than I am capable of is that if you reduce, if you take away critical thinking from a human being, you condition them for slavery. A man who has been educated in the word of God isn't going to be misled by a pastor just because he shares his skin color who's been paid off by a slave owner to lie to him that the Bible says you are to stay and remain and were meant and born to be a slave because of your skin color. A man who's been truly educated in critical thinking is going to say things like that powerful line in... Uh, what's that Matthew McConaughey movie I like? Free State of Jones. No man owns another. I mean, I choked up when he said that. That's the stuff a critical thinker says. That, that's he's calling you on. He's calling you. He's calling BS on you. I can. I know it when I see it. What we try to do on our show is encourage critical thinking. We used to say one of the taglines of this show used to be: "We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to start one." We're trying to start one. Trying to jump, get those mental jumper cables out. That critical thinking is in there somewhere for all of you. You've just been from a generation where they tried to strip it away, make it go dormant. Like a vestigial organ. Or a dormant gene. All we've got to do is just give you the right push. The right incentive and the light will come back on. That's what we try to do on our show. Encourage critical thinking. Critically thinking people cannot be enslaved. They cannot be. But when we don't think critically, we do things like, I guess I'll just stay home until my governor tells me I can go out. I guess we'll just keep paying the teachers unions for not teaching my kid. And maybe if I post an even angrier thing on my Facebook wall, they'll finally open the schools up. That's what a non-critical thinking population does. I can't wait for 2021. It can't be worse than this. <laughs> that you, A non-critical thinking population will either become slaves or they'll become slaves actively 
or passively by the lack of their own convictions and actions. You might as well be one. You're no threat to the status quo or the established order at all. Just a slave by another name. That's what Douglas is talking about. Now, in terms of what ultimate hope do we have? You are correct. We are up against the spirit of the age. Um, you know, something else we used to say on our show a lot. All Puritans eventually become pilgrims. All do. All of them do. That eventually the Puritans get their, uh, get their laments, get their complaints, their 95 theses, whatever form they have taken throughout the course of human history, they eventually raise enough cane that they get them in front of the powers that be. Folks, can you name me one time in history the powers that be were like, oh, snap, we didn't know. We didn't know. Thank you, by golly. Thank you for telling us that this thing was off the rails. We'll get right on fixing it right away. Name me one time in history that occurred. Can you guys come up with one? No. No, it's not how it works. Usually they're like, well, now we know who we need to arrest or we need to kill or we need to put in a camp. Thanks for letting us know that you were the troublemakers we've been looking for. Thank you. Pilgrims always end up, or Puritans always end up becoming pilgrims. You can't pour new wine into old wineskins. You cannot coexist with something that is not interested in coexisting with you this is a worldview steel cage match two worldviews are going to enter here one's coming out and it won't be like a mesh or 49 to 51 nope gonna be one winner here that's it that's all it's that's and it's not going to be because we're not willing to accommodate differences one of the reasons we're in this position on our side is we've been willing to accommodate differences for decades if and, and even worse than accommodating these differences come up with our own conservative counterfeit version of it to show that we're not you know haters but we're beyond that now we're we're like john boehner in the obama administration going up to the white house to negotiate a budget bill but we're coming out empty-handed because i'm negotiating against myself that's what we're doing we're like conscience clause conscience clause can we get a conscience clause they're like what's a conscience what is it they're not going to accommodate us they're making that abundantly clear so it's revival or bust. Now, in the meantime, what, can, what strategically can be done? What strategically must be done is, y'all, we need to create some free states of Jones. Some places where we live and this is not permitted to permeate. And the answer is no. And, and, and no and no. We're not doing it. No is the answer. But have a nice life. We're not doing that here in our state, our county, our city. We're not doing that here. Short of that. That's why I made a big point about Ron DeSantis on the show last week. He's in the most expensive swing state in the union. Where Donald Trump winning the state by four points was a nearly 100% improvement on what the average margin of victory has been in Florida, regardless of which party wins, in the last 11 presidential elections. 
There's nothing he can do in Florida that will not generate massive blowback because it's such a closely contested state. And the same would be true if there were a Democrat governor there now, just on the other side of the fence. And yet, when we look for examples of, of, go, of guys, governors wearing our jerseys that are on offense on our issues, there's a list of no more than three or four that we'd all think of right now, right? Right. And he's on it every time, right? Yep. And then look at the demographics of his state. I think our governor's done a tremendous job. Haven't agreed with everything. But by and large, in comparison to the rest of the country that I cover, we did that whole exercise with Kim Reynolds about a, a couple of weeks ago. How would we grade her by herself? And then how would we grade her in relationship to the rest of the class, right? But the reality is she's not, she doesn't face nearly the blowback that a Ron DeSantis does. Christy Noem, whom I adore, doesn't face any, I mean, she's in a state, what are there, three elected Democrats in her whole state. None of these people face any of the blowback that Ron DeSantis does. So where's the governor of Alabama? Where's the governor of Mississippi? Where's the governor of South Carolina? Where's the governor of Tennessee? Where's the governor of Idaho? Well, like Democrats are almost unthinkable in, in large pockets of these states, if not the whole state. The governor of West Virginia, a, a, Republic, a Democratic presidential candidate, hasn't won a precinct in West Virginia in eight years. Hasn't won a county in West Virginia since 2004. How in the world is Ron DeSantis outperforming those people? It's not a question of, 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 of anything other than will and want to. That's what we can do. Revival's largely not up to us. In the meantime, we can occupy until it comes, if it does. And how do we do that? Have the people we gave our power to use the power we gave them when they're in charge. Short of that, something wicked this way comes. Short of that, that rumbling you hear, that's the Visigoths over the wall. Short of that, Oh, look, it's the Assyrians. Come to put bits in our noses and lead us back to Ur. Short of that, oh, wow, it's Nebuchadnezzar outside the city gate. And he's got us trapped in a cage, starving us out. Short of that, that's where this is going. They must use the power that we have empowered them with. They must use it. And then they must use it to punish those who would then use their power to punish us. Like DeSantis last week, I will punish big tech. It's not enough to say you cannot do this in my state. I will punish you. Punish you if you do. I will. Why do we punish our children? To de-incentivize bad behavior, right? Yeah. That's why we punish, period. Otherwise, it's not punishment. It's punitive. That's the difference between a punishment and a punitive. The difference between child abuse and, giving, and, and, and breaking your foot off in your kid's backside is in one case, you just had a bad day at work. In the other case, he ran his mouth to his mama in ways that was disrespectful. That's the difference. They must punish 
They must use the power they have and then they must punish so that the other side recognizes there will be a price to pay for going there, for violating the rules of engagement, for coloring outside the lines. There will be a price to pay. Are you sure you're willing to pay it? You will pay for this. That's why we punish. With very limited examples. That has occurred in the what's left of America and in the conservative movement and in the Republican Party for the last 30 years. Meanwhile, they're about to boardwalk on the Monopoly board on Antonio Gramsci's long march to the institutions. They're almost to the end of the board. We're arguing about how much money or if at all to put in free parking. We haven't even started the game yet. Well, get busy living or get busy dying. Culturally, that is. More Ask Me Anything from our new followers on Gab in a moment right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. What if I were to tell you you no longer had to make the choice between taste and health because you don't with our friends over at Bilt Bar. Good news. I'm My understanding is you won't have to listen to me whine much longer that um, my chocolate chip cookie dough bars are on their way, I've been told, which I'm very much looking forward to because... It's my favorite flavor of anything. But then number two, every other flavor of Built Bar has been absolutely tremendous. Over 20 flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate. I promise you, you have never had a protein bar this good. You haven't had candy bars. There are some candy bars that are not this good. The texture of a Three Musketeer bar, and it, it just doesn't taste like anything that has up to 20 grams of protein, three to five grams of sugar carbs per bar. That's it. 180 calories or less per bar. That's it. It just doesn't. I've never tasted anything that can claim, make those claims until I tried Built Bar. Right now, use my name off your first or next discount. Maybe if you've tried it before, you want to come back, you can use the promo code DACE again. Or if you've never tried Built Bar before, this is the time when you go to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T, for BuiltBar.com, promo code DACE, get 20% off right now at BuiltBar.com, promo code Days. All right, let's continue on with this week's Ask Me Anything here for the Money Town Hall, courtesy of our Gab followers. We'll go next to at Greg Brinson, who says, your thoughts on Amy Coney Barrett voting to give the California governor power to set a 25% capacity for churches and no singing. If she is the most conservative judge we can find, America is dead. Well, what if I were to tell you that she practically is? because I've been telling you this for over 10 years. The the law schools even are the law schools are corrupted at the core in America. And I haven't done a show on this in a long time, but in in other versions of this program, uh you know, pre-COVID data, we did stuff on what's happened to the law in America. 
that natural law, the laws of nature and nature's God, uh, Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England, the, um, the writings of Augustine Aquinas, uh, that any man-made code that doesn't square with the natural law of God is no law at all, and we have a duty to disobey it. All those things have been thrown out for um, a fancy, the a fan you know what, I was going to say a theology, Freudian slip, that's what it is, um, <laughs> called legal positivism. And essentially, it's the notion that whatever authority has the rightful claim on being the law gets to make the law. Now, if you went to a law school, that is not how they would define it for you. But then if you ask them to define it for you and realized what the implications of what they're defining really is, that's what it means. The judge is the law. Whoever, whoever, whoever has the power to say, I am the Senate, they're the law. And there's nothing, no higher authority. And to claim any kind of a higher authority makes you some kind of a theocratic, intolerant bigot, of course. That's, that, it's the same thing with, with precedent and stare decisis. But any law school in America, they will not tell you that what it means is whatever, um, dis, whatever total depravity, utter deprav depravity notions from the bowels of the warped, depraved, given over mind of some judge in the 666th district of Babylon decrees that you will have to scrub your brain from even reading later is the law. It's the law now. Doesn't matter what was said before. It's the law. You'll tell them things like, well, it, it, it says here the Declaration of Independence is the organic law. No, that's, that's not true. They, it, it's a cult. All the law schools, except for, I don't know, does Hillsdale have a law school? I don't even know. Like maybe a couple of them have not been completely and totally worked over by this. And so what's that have to do with your Amy Coney Barrett question? Here's what it has to do. There's two ways of looking at this. If you understand things from the premise of natural law, then her ruling is a heinous betrayal. If you look at it from a legal positivism standpoint, which is the law that she would have been taught and is probably teaching at Notre Dame. Because that's what they've all been taught. Then this is actually a big win. Now, from a natural law perspective, the, 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 the idea that there is ever a point in time when the state can tell the church when and where it can gather is a mortal sin. It's a grievance. It's a, it's a grievanced act of tyranny to not even be accepted on its face. But we don't believe in that stuff anymore. We got rid of all that. We've evolved now. So from a legal positivism standpoint, that's a big win, actually. If we all agree that the governor of California gets to decide what the First Amendment to the Constitution means, because he's the rightful claim of power, and there is no power greater than him, then this is a, you've extracted a large concession from him. That's a big win. And she's your hero. If you understand the law to mean... That Gavin Newsom has no such power to do that. And that's why when he took his oath of office as the governor of California, it ended with the phrase, so help me God, to remind him one more time, there is a power at work here in our government, in our culture, greater than him. 
then you ask questions like the one you asked, sir. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're a unicorn. Most people think this is a big win. And from a legal positivism standpoint, it is. That's probably about the best you were going to get. She's about the best you're going to get, unfortunately. Now, there, remember, though, also our friend Daniel Horowitz, when he vetted her record, he liked everything he found in her record except one thing. Do you guys remember what it was? COVID fascism. Didn't like a couple of rulings she had made on that front. So, from a legal positivism standpoint, this is her trying to be reasonable. Well, we're in a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. We can't ignore that. And yet there's this transcendent First Amendment right. How do we negotiate those? I mean, that's the way a legal positivist thinks. The legal positivist on their side believes they just get to make up the law whole cloth. The legal positivist on our side believes that Solomon really could have figured out how to split that baby in half and pleased everybody. That's like Neil Gorsuch. There's nothing in the Constitution. Remember that ruling he gave? What was the other state? I can't even remember. Was it New York? What state was it when he looked at when the last church ruling in Gorsuch? Literally like a one paragraph summation where he said there is zero zip zilch in the Constitution that says you're allowed to do this. You guys remember this was just a few months ago. Yeah. Same Neil Gorsuch, though, who found that it does say in the Constitution that men can become women and we should codify that into law. Same thing. Now, how do you reconcile that? That's a guy who's a legal positivist. Well, we got this new thing, you know, uh, our, our theories on gender have changed. We've got to evolve. So we're going to figure out how we're going to accommodate both of these things. We can split. We, again, the legal positivists on the left don't care. They're, just, they're, all, they're all Palpatine all the time. I, I, I am the Senate constantly just making it up. So, and then we all are to say, so say we all. The legal positivists on the right believe Solomon could have really split the baby in half and figured out a way to make it work. That's the problem we have. Next question. Moving on, we'll go next to uh, Shredder PL. I, some of these usernames, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce them well. Do you think the general public would be more aggressive at pushing back lockdowns, restrictions, etc., if they had not been placated with professional and college sports? To some degree, yeah. Um, because I think it's kind of worked the other way. Uh, for in the South, for example, I think one of the reasons I, I think we would not have seen pushes to reopen in some of these places um, if it weren't for um, the the uh, for example, Alabama football is what stopped K. Ivy from becoming Mike DeWine. Does that make? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that she she's inclined to become like Mike DeWine. But but number one, football's a borderline religion in the South. Number two, once we were going to play football, that only begs the question: Why can't I go see some games? So I, I think the tail was the tail wasn't wagging the was wagging the dog in some parts of the country, and then in other parts of the country, I do think that there was a play that more of a placation took place. What I mean by that, let me see if I can quantify it better. In some parts of the country. The love of the love of, of of those types of sports forced forced placation, meaning that it was not even on the table they weren't going to play. I, I'm just telling you guys, there is no way the SEC. And I told you this all last year. There was no way the SEC wasn't playing football, even if they were the only one. No way. 
Never is never going to happen. Bubba would be shooting the jukebox in about seven states every day. They were always going to play. That's just the reality of it. They had to come up with a way to justify that. The culture there wasn't going to permit him not to. And then because of that, that's what forced things like, okay, now we'll let some fans in the stands and blah, blah, blah. In other parts of the country, in order to continue on like where we live in this part of the country, it worked the way you're asking. They had to, they, they, to, to maintain the placation, they had to provide this. So it was the other way around. I think that's what went on in states like Michigan, Ohio, and some of those states. So I think it is largely driven by which part of the country do you live. But I'll also say this. While the ratings for the NFL were good, they dominated the ratings on television every week like they do every year. They did not get like the astronomical lunar landing kind of ratings we all thought they might get because we're all at home. What else are we doing? They, they didn't get those kinds of ratings. So I don't know that it was as much of a driving force here as maybe people thought. Next up, Cowdog Express says when China invades Taiwan, which I think happens within 12 months, will the Biden administration honor America's word to defend Taiwan when that happens? Or will they abandon Taiwan to the Chinese Communist Party? No. Uh, Moshman123 says, I see that H.R. 51 has been introduced requesting full representation for Washington, D.C. That means two more Democrat senators. Do you think this passes before 2022? No. I don't. I think this is one of those things. Um, each side has these issues. You know, I've talked about this before. You always know when Republicans are out of things to talk about, they'll come up with new things to vote the death penalty on that has no chance of passing. Each side has their pat them on the head issues, you know, uh, patronizing issues. This is one of them for Democrats. I, I think it's far more likely uh, that uh, the Puerto Rico thing, in my view, than Washington, D.C. Next up, T. Jacko says, how likely are we to see anything come out of the election fraud cases being presented to SCOTUS at the February 19th conference? Barring an act of God, nothing. So whatever chances you think there are that um, God will demand a reckoning of this. And I don't know what they are, but I think whatever you think those odds are, those are the odds that a Supreme Court whose most celebrated recent member looked for a way to figure out how to continue the COVID fascism and religious liberty at the same time, who happens to teach at the world's largest Catholic institution, um, which, whichever those odds are, I mean, they're not coming up with this on their own, folks. I mean, it's, that's going to take an, an act of God. Do one more. Tufts 2003 says, given your evolution over the last year or so, yes, I watched the Mike Lindell documentary too. Do your Ten Commandments for political warfare from Rules for Patriots still stand, or do you foresee a second edition revision being necessary? No, I think that those absolutely still stand. I think the question is, um, I think the question is how they're applied. That's what changes. But I think that those are, uh, and they were meant to be anyway, my best attempt at a timeless strategy. But the way that they are applied, I think, has to be updated and changed depending on what 
the circumstances are, how technology evolves, things of that nature. You know, when I when I wrote that book in 2013 or 2014, Twitter was just becoming a legitimate place for political discourse. It was it was largely a place where teenage girls, you know, kvetched about Justin Bieber and we talked about, you know, uh, sports. It was just becoming a place of mainstream political discourse back then. So some of that may need to be updated. And, you know, one of the things we also are concerned about when it comes to things like Twitter and, and Facebook and everything else online, the amount of time our kids are spending in front of a screen, the, the content that they're exposed to uh, when they're on those screens as well. That's where our friends at Annie's Kit Clubs come from. They've got the perfect subscription box for both boys and girls. The Young Woodworkers Kit Club for boys. It's a monthly subscription. Puts real tools in your child's hands. Every month, they'll receive an all-in-one woodworking kit with the materials and the tools kids need to make an awesome woodworking project with minimal supervision. And for the girls, an amazing Creative Girls Club, which sends two fun craft projects every month complete with easy to follow instructions you can kickstart her and his creativity through painting beading and more help your kids develop actual skills mastering real world building it with new crafting techniques while expressing their creativity all right so make a great gift for the kids or the grandkids go to annie's kit clubs annie's is plural a-n-n-i-e annie's kit slash steve and save 75 percent off your first shipment that's annie's kit slash steve 75 percent off your first shipment at annie's kit slash steve all right gentlemen any last words uh any last words um it's cold outside and it's going to be all week long. i don't remember i lived in iowa and wisconsin and utah my whole life i don't remember like a week long of temperatures that are like zero to five degrees for a high this one's cold it's 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 soul crushing is what it is yeah, Bella and I learned yesterday, uh, if you have any doubts whatsoever about uh, going out for a long driving trip in winter weather, the answer is always no. So, uh, thank goodness we made it back in one piece, though. All right, we're going to stick around and do the overtime. We're going to debate who is the greatest team athlete ever in light of Tom Brady's now seventh Super Bowl fifth MVP for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.